the podcast. My name is Thomas J. Sotvet. And I'm your co-host, Vicki Sotvet. Which makes this Scaredy Cats, the spooky, scary monsters edition. So, Vicki, <laughs> are there any short horror stories that you read when you were a wee one or perhaps an adult that really messed with you? The goo. I forget what it's called. The ungodly mess. I hate it. I hate it. They tur- it's two children, and they turn on the tap, and goop comes out, and the goop absorbs them. And it doesn't sound very scary, but I hate it. I hate it so much, and it stresses me out. I, and for a really long time, I wouldn't turn on my kitchen tap. I mean, I think that's a fair one, because I've read that one as well. We own, we actually own a small uh, hor- a short horror story campfire compendium that has that story in it. And it really is just like two pages of slowly describing these kids being liquefied it's as they're good. unable to do anything about it. I hate it. I yeah. hate it so much. Yeah, it's not, uh, not, not pleasant. Yeah, um, my nightmares tended to stress me out far more than short stories, though. Mm, mm. What's your worst nightmare? I had a lot. Um, my most common nightmare, because I had a lot of recurring nightmares. I was a very scared child. Um, this explains so much to all of our listeners, <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, but there was a guy who was like, he wasn't a zombie, but he was clearly dead. Like he was blue in the way that children think all like corpses, corpses are blue. Are, yeah, yeah. yeah, and he only had four toes on each foot, and his name was Patrick. I don't know why. And he never told me his name, but my mattress didn't line up to my bed frame. It was a little too small, so I had like two inches of exposed bed frame. And in this dream, Patrick was always lying on this two-inch like slat waiting for me to step out of bed so he could try to eat me. Oh. It was very distressing. That's not cool of him. No. I had lots of other nightmares, but that was the most common nightmare. Spooky. Uh, mine, surprisingly, is uh, there were a few in, in the Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark uh, anthology series, which is coincidentally what we're watching today. Surprise, surprise. Um, but th- actually, no, the, sorry, this was a story, I believe, in that series, but not one that you'd think about, like not one of the classics. Mine, the one that messed me up most was actually There's Room for One More, which is a really, really quick sh- horror story, I believe, of a guy who travels to England and like he's about to get into an elevator and the elevator's pretty much packed but everybody looks off and wrong and there's a guy in the elevator who's like come on in there's room for one one more and the guy's like no it's okay or no first it's a car it's like a hearse that pulls up and opens up and there's a bunch of people inside and there's like a room for one more and he's like it's cool i don't want to take a ride in the hearse then it's the elevator and he's like no 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 i'll pass and the elevator crashes and kills everybody on board Mm. at the end of the story um so if you see spooky elevator men if anybody's ever like there's room for one more come on then no be like nope 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 people do say that to us yeah. when we take the elevator yeah like i've heard that exact phrase it fucks me up every single time and anytime anybody in an elevator is like there's room for one more i'm like i'm not getting out of this fucking elevator you go away <laughs> so yeah we're watching scary stories to tell in the dark today uh which is a fun fun movie and i think it's going to be great but before i get into it vicky what do you know about this film i know it was produced by guillermo del toro which means it's going to be spooky, because mm-hmm. he makes spooky monsters. I know it's based on the book series. I know it's presented also as, like, a series of short. Like, it's one long plot, but it's kind of presented like each story doing its own thing, I think. Maybe. You're just looking at me absolutely stone-faced, so I don't know. <laughs> I ain't helping you out. And I know one of the monsters in it, because you came home from seeing it in the theater and told me all about it, and it stresses me out. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be stressed. I know that about this movie. I'm going to be stressed. All right. Uh, so it was directed by Andre Avradal, uh, who also directed Troll Hunter, which is a really fun Norwegian monster hunting movie that rocks out loud, and also The Autopsy of Jane Doe, which is another horror movie that we will be covering one day. So this will be 
the first of uh, this guy, but we won't be the last. We'll see him. Uh, writers, and uh, bear with me, say a prayer, because there's lots of writers. So we're going to see if I can get through them all uh, fucking up their names. Dan Hageman, Kevin Hageman, Guillermo del Toro, Patrick Melton, and Marcus Dunstan. Luckily, they were all, like, mostly generic-ass, like, North American names, except for del Toro, but, of course, but I know, know how to say how del Toro, so it wasn't actually that hard. Uh, a lot of writers on this. Uh, it stars Zoe Margaret Coletti as Stella Nichols, uh, Mar- Michael Garza as Ramon Morales, Gabriel Rush as Augie Hildebrandt, and Austin Zadger, I think is how you say it. It's Z-A-J-U-R, uh, as Chuck Steinberg. Yeah, I'd say Zadger is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and many others. It's not just four people in this movie. Uh, I don't have many factoids. In fact, I have one, which I feel is coming the norm. We need to cover some older movies uh, again, but... Don't worry, I always have lots of fun facts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Del Toro came up with the idea for Scary Stories to Tell in Dark turned to a movie when he came upon the book series in an old, rundown, secondhand uh, bookstore. And he opened up and was like, these drawings are horrifying. We can, ma- we can make a movie out of this or something one day. And then while he was making Pan's Labyrinth, which features a book who reads the person who holds it, he was like, oh, there it is. There's the fucking movie. And so years later, he... He made this. I hate the guy from Pan's Labyrinth with eyes in his hands. The gray man or the whatever. The pale man. Huh? The pale man. The pale man. I yeah. hate him. I hate him so much. He also stresses me the fuck out. Why? He just... No, I hate him. Yeah. I don't want to talk about you him anymore. Talk, no. Uh, he's got weird chicken legs. <laughs> nope, I hate him. He's got chicken legs. Uh, all right. So that's pretty much all I've got for Scary Stories Tell in the Dark Part 1. Do you have anything else? No. Um... I'm aware it's a children's movie. It's going to stress me out more. Than... Children may be stretching. It's for teenagers, I'd say. It's probably still going to stress me out more. Non-human things mm-hmm. stress me out a lot. And we've just watched a lot of movies about, like, a serial killer. And I can, like, handle a serial killer. But, like... can handle a serial killer, but no spooky monsters. No. No spooky monsters. All right. Well, we will be back with part two, because we're about to go watch that movie. So we'll see how messed up Vicky is when uh, we return. So stay frosty out there. Hello, and we're back with part two of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. We watched it in a relatively sunny apartment, though. So I don't think we did it right. No, I don't want to watch it in the dark. No? No. This movie really upset Vicky. I didn't like it. <laughs> so this is part two of the episode where we are going to break down the plot synopsis for you. So if you don't want it spoiled, then go watch it, you silly. So Vicky, you want to take us away? Yeah, so we start with a voiceover, which we will learn is Stella, but that's irrelevant to us at this time. And Stella's voice is talking about the power of stories and how they can hurt and how they can heal. And then the voiceover continues while we get to uh, a shot of, like, around town, some unidentified Midwestern America in 1968. Yeah, 1968. And this is all, uh, this entire scene is to Donovan's season of The Witch. Um, We see, yes, it is Halloween outside. Everybody's getting kind of ready for the festivities. And a boy who we will learn is named Ramon is driving through town looking around. Uh, and then we go to Stella, and that's this is where we meet her, uh, giving dinner to her father, Roy, who, by the way, is played by Dean Norris of Breaking Bad 
fame. He's Hank from Breaking Bad. He had a minor enough role that I didn't feel like it was worth mentioning him in the stars because he's not in it enough, but he's definitely probably the biggest name gotcha. in the movie. Good to know. Uh, yes, he's watching Vietnam on TV. Vietnam is heavily mentioned but plays very little actual role in the film, mm-hmm. but we really make sure we know we're in 1968 with Vietnam and Richard Nixon. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also learn that Stella is a writer. As she heads up to her room, we see that she has a typewriter, a lot of different stories uh, that she has kind of just around, and she gets a call on a walkie-talkie that she has in her room from her friend, friends Chuck and Augie. Yes, talking about trick-or-treating, and uh, she's like, no, we're too old, and they're like, but it might be our last Halloween, which is oddly prescient of them. <laughs> and we cut back to Raymond, who's filling up gas, and he's getting harassed a little by, by a cop who's like, what you doing? What you doing, random teenage boy traveling all by your lonesome? And Ramon is like, don't worry about it. And uh, as he's about to hop back into his car, a flyer giver? Uh, a, vo- a guy- Giver of flyers? A bequeather of flyers bequeaths unto Ramon a flyer for a drive-in, Halloween drive-in double feature. And he's like, well, all right. Yes, we then cut to some boys in Letterman jackets, the leader of which is Tommy, but we never know who the other ones are. And they're throwing beer bottles at the absolute creepiest possible scarecrow named Harold before whapping it in the face with a bat. And, like, Harold is covered in, like, giant horrible bug things. and And, like... Why would you make that your scarecrow? I was, I, I was telling Vicky, I was like, the objective of scarecrows is to scare birds, not human beings. <laughs> like, why would you be like, I'm going to make the creepiest fucking scarecrow I can to put in my field? Yes, so Augie and Chuck are getting dressed for trick-or-treating at their respective houses, and Augie goes to pick up Chuck, and he is not a clown. He is a... a... Pierrot. A Pierrot. Yeah. And Chuck is a man spider instead of Spider-Man. <laughs> he has a moment with his mom where he's like, it's supposed to be Spider-Man, Mom, not Spider-Man. <laughs> That's good. And Augie stares at Chuck's sister Ruth through the door for a hot sec before Chuck is like, stop looking at my sister, you perv. And he's like, eh, I'm a Pierrot. And, <laughs> and they, and they uh, head out trick-or-treating with Stella. Uh, while they're walking, Augie tells Stella that he thinks that she should submit some of her spooky stories. But Stella's like, the school would hate my spooky stories, Augie, shut up. Yes. Meanwhile, Tommy has picked up Ruth with his unnamed boys. And they snitch the crew. the crew. They snitch the candy bag from Chuck, but jokes on them, this has been planned. It's full of poop. Yeah, it's full it's full of crap. It smells terrible. Uh, so Tommy's like, son of a bitch and uh, stops his car and immediately begins to throw it into reverse to come back to get after the group. And Chuck lights a bag that is also filled with poop and throws it through the door of the car. Yes, and Tommy crashes into a fence, and Ruth gets out, and everyone's like, why is your sister in the car? And Chuck's like, they were going on a date. I didn't know she was going on a date with the guy we're trying to get poop in his car. Jeez, guys. (laughs) The guy we're trying to, we're trying to, I don't know, be a party pooper on his night. Um, A chase ensues. A chase ensues. As Tommy chases them with a baseball bat, and the chase progresses to the drive-in movies, where they let themselves into Ramon's car, and they're like, hey, bud. And Ramon is surprisingly cool with it. He's like, okay, I, I know. I, so you got to respect when people clearly are hiding from people to let them hide in your car. Um, so they all pile into his car, and Tommy's looking around for them, doesn't seem to be able to find them. 
Um, and eventually the characters all sort of introduce uh, themselves to each other. Yes, and they start going through Ramon's stuff and asking why he's at a drive-in by himself, and Ramon is like, why are you still in my car? Yeah, and Chuck's like, do you live in the car? She's clearly smelling some, like, laundry, and Ramon's like, shut up, man. Why are you in my car? Stella and Ramon start hitting it off about the film, which is some... Night of the Living Dead. Is that what it is? All right. Uh, but at this point, before they can hit it off much further, Tommy and the boys find him and start threatening everybody with baseball bats. Yeah, and Tommy specifically also mocks Stella for having no mom. Yeah, well, she she asked Stella, or he asked Stella if she's going to run away like her mommy. Like her mommy. And he's a, yeah, what a douche. Uh, Ramon tells Tommy that he's a douche as well. And is like, you smell like shit. Get off of my car. Yes. At this point, Tommy and the boys have been standing for long enough that they're blocking other cars' views and they're escorted off of the premise. Yeah, people are like, get back in your cars, you're blocking the screen. And he gets escorted away by some adults. Stella gets out of the car and takes a breath while Chuck and Augie uh, explain why Tommy's comment was so rough. Yeah, Stella's mom left when she was just a little baby, and so it's just her and her and her pa. Yes, I don't think she was a baby, I think she was like four or five, because... Left when she was a child. Yes, and uh, everyone in town has bullied her about this, and she thinks it's her fault. Yeah, and, and everybody in town, for some reason, blames Stella for it, even though she was a... I don't think they actually blame Stella. I think she's just bullied for being in 1968 America yeah. with the mom who leaves, because that would be very unusual, and so she's kind of internalized the That's bullying. True. I don't think anybody except Stella actually That's fair. believes that. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, Stella cools off. And heads back into the car and is like, it's Halloween, you want to see a haunted house? And Ramon's like, I just met you, and this is crazy, but show me that haunted house. And call me, maybe? And call me, maybe. Except <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it's 1968, so he doesn't have a cell phone. <laughs> no. Uh, so they walk up, and Augie immediately is like, I don't want to go into the child murder house, which is our cue for exposition. Yes, and Stella says that it's not a child murder house. There were murdered children, but it, this house is only tangentially related. Uh, she says that it was once owned by a wealthy family called the Bellows, who really put the town on the map with their paper mill and uh, caused a lot of business to come to this place. I think the town is called Mill something, or I don't know, so it might even be named um. after it. But they had a daughter named Sarah Bellows, who was a bit of an outcast, and they kept her uh, reportedly locked up in the house, and she was never allowed outside. And also, later it's revealed she's, like, an albino, which has absolutely no impact on the film. No, but, but I could see, like, if you're a, a dumbass 1800s family that are all horrible, and you have this albino child, you'd be like... Freak, you live in the basement. Although we do learn she's kept in the basement for other reasons. Yes. Not related to the albinoism, yes. so I still don't know why her being an albino mm -hmm. has anything to do with it. But there's also rumors, A, there's rumors that she may or may not have even existed, and B, if there's also rumors that if she did exist, she may have had something to do with a couple of kids that were poisoned in the village and died. Yes. Uh, Ramon is like, sounds neat, let's check it out, and <laughs> picks the lock. And into the spooky murder house they go. Yeah, he borrows Chuck... Chuck's pen. Lola! <laughs> Chuck takes the time to inform Augie that Ramon is much dreamier than he is. Being able to drive and pick locks. Pick locks and have a mysterious backstory, yeah. Yeah, so we they... get... This is the other half of the exposition we get about Sarah. It's kind of broken up into two chunks, but, like, we don't... We just learn everything Tom said in, like, three sections. Yeah, so. exactly. Uh, so they head into the Bellows Mansion. It is pretty much your classic spooky abandoned mansion affair. 
Uh, they end up splitting up after Augie, or after Chuck jumps out to scare Augie, and they end up running upstairs, and Stella and Ramon uh, end up finding a secret passage. Yes, and so uh, Stella explains to Ramon as they're traversing this secret passage, which of course they are compelled to traverse, that uh, Sarah used to tell children stories and they'd die, but before the mob could arrive to lynch her for it, she hung herself. Yeah. So that's like the third chunk of exposition. Yeah, it's like, I don't know, I guess the kids used to come and like... She used to tell them stories through the wall. Through the wall. They so used they, to ask her for stories. So they'd like crouch behind a crack in the house and she would whisper spooky stories to... But anyways, yeah, then she hung herself before anybody could arrive. Um... I think they're, that is actually said before they find the hidden passage. No, well, I think it's as they're finding the hidden passage. Doesn't really matter. Either uh, way, yeah, they it, find the passage, and they, that leads them down to a basement where, which has what appears to be a dilapidated bedroom, uh, which Stella says this must be Sarah's room. But before that, there's another lock, which Ramon pulls out a switchblade to pick the lock with because he's got to be cool. He's so dreamy. Uh, meanwhile, Chuck is hiding to spook Augie. And he kind of tucks himself into, like, a little closet. Mm-hmm. And then he looks out the closet, but it's no longer the dilapidated old house it was. It's a lit room with an old lady wearing a veil in it. And a dog. And a dog. And a good boy. Um, and he's like, what the crap? And slowly the old lady turns and looks at him. And so he closes the cabinet door and uh, moves to the back of it. We hear footsteps approaching the cabinet, and the doors get thrown open, and it's not a spooky ghost lady, but Augie. Yes, and uh, the lady and the light are gone, and Chuck is like, Stella, Stella, we gotta go. Yeah. Stella, yeah, and Stella. The, and the room is back to being dilapidated and old. And uh, But yeah, so Chuck's like, bad vibes here. I want to leave. And but... Stella's like, hey, come check out Sarah's creepy basement bedroom. And Chuck's like, I want to leave, but that sounds dope as hell. I want to look first. And heads down. So in the room, Stella finds Sarah's book of scary stories. And uh, Chuck is like, okay, that's cool, but like, we gotta go, fam. Mm-hmm. The vibes. They're bad. And like, they've lit a bunch of candles that are around there to see. And... Well, I think it's just one candle and then Ramon Zippo. Yeah, a Zippo lighter. Uh, but anyways, uh, and they're just about to turn and leave when suddenly all the lights go out and, at once. Uh, it is because there's a gust of wind as Tommy slams the door. And Ruth is still with Tommy for some reason, and she's like, don't lock my little brother in a room. And Tommy is like, fine. I'll... And so Ruth unlocks it, at which point Tommy kicks her down the stairs and locks the door. Yeah. Which, like, bro, yeah, that's not how to impress a lady. Douchebag. Total, total, total jerk. So yeah, he throws uh, Ruth into the basement with the others, and Stella, for some reason, doesn't seem particularly perturbed by the situation, and rather, instead of reacting to it, decides to start reading the spooky, sca- scary stories in the book. Yes, Ruth, meanwhile, is covered in spider webs, and Augie is helping clear her off, clearly mm-hmm. with a little bit of, of a puppy crush on there. Yeah. situation yeah uh the door however after stella begins to read the book and i believe she asks sarah bellows to tell her a story as she's moving across the pages the door to the basement unlocks itself mysteriously Mm-hmm. and nobody thinks that's weird so let's head out and they head out and find ramon's car has been vandalized oh no at which point stella is like you could stay on my couch in the basement instead of sleeping in your car dreamy man who can pick locks with both pens and switchblades. And has a car, even though the car's been wrecked. Uh, so yeah, she invites Ramon to come stay in the basement, and they head over to her house and find her dad, Roy, asleep watching TV. She puts a blanket on him, 
So like clear that she takes care of him. Yes. And then takes Ramon up to her room. Yes, and Ramon is checking out a room and is like, Oh, I used to like collect these comics and da 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 Some then, like horror magazines, yeah. Yeah, and he tells her that if she wants to be a writer, she's gotta move to the city. She can't stay here and she's like, No, I can't I can't leave my dad. That can't, wouldn't be fair. Can't leave my pa. Uh, Ramon goes to sleep in the basement. After Stella tells him the basement is downstairs, and he's like, yes, that's usually where they are. He's like, "Uh, uh uh-huh. So later, Stella is flipping through the book by herself when she comes across the last story that has been written in the book, and it appears to have been written with fresh ink. Um, And it's called Harold. It's called Harold, and refers to a Tommy uh, having some trouble with a scarecrow. And we know the scarecrow is called Harold on Tommy's farm. Because he called it Harold a couple times. Yes. Eat shit, Harold. At this point, Tommy gets to his farm, drunk, and his mom is like, you're a disgrace to deliver the eggs to the Wolvertons. And he's like, now? And she's like, yes, right, deliver the eggs. Right now, drunk child. Go across the field and deliver these eggs. So he's uh, carrying his basket of eggs he's through a, the cornfield. He's a dick to some chickens. Yeah, he tries to kick him. And he swears at Harold, the scarecrow, as he goes by. Eat shit, Harold. And uh, a short time later, he passes by Harold again. And he's like, am I going in circles? What? And then again, but this time Harold isn't on the post. It's just the post. And then Harold is right in front of him, and he falls over. At which point, Harold starts to detach himself from the post. Yeah, and uh, begins to kind of hobble after him. Uh, And Tavi, of course, is drunk, and so he's not running very great. And he fails to notice that there is a pitchfork dropped in his path, and he trips over it uh, as Harold catches up. But then he's like, wait a second, pitchfork. Stands, takes the pitchfork, and stabs into Harold. But Harold's just a scarecrow, fam. What do you think What do you think's going to happen? Harold grabs the pitchfork away from him, reverses it around, and stabs Tommy with it. Yes, and so Tommy kind of stumbles to just the edge of the cornfield when he starts throwing up. And he's throwing up, like, hay. And, and like grass is, and stuff. Hay yeah. is starting to come out of his, like, pitchfork wounds, and his hands are starting to mutate, and uh, he appears to be becoming a scarecrow. But we cut to the next morning. Yeah, uh, we, we see it's like... He, he, like, falls onto the ground. We see it's coming out of his mouth and nose and ears and eyes. And, yeah, it's, it's gross. It's gnarly. And at this point, I was like, okay, that was wild. But, like, I can handle this level of monster. Mm-hmm. So, and it won't get worse. It'll, it, it's fine. It gets so much worse. Uh, <laughs> so Ramon, the next day, takes his car to a garage to get fixed. And the sheriff comes and is like... You seem kind of uh, like a shifty character. I thought you said you was going to be moving along. And uh, he starts to imply that Ramon may have had something to do with Tommy's disappearance because nobody knows where that guy is. Yeah, and uh, we cut to school without any more, like, exposition on that. And Stella is explaining to Chuck and Augie how the story appeared last night and now Tommy isn't at school. And Chuck is like, it's like the haunted room. And Augie is like, y'all both crazy. It's fine. So after school, Stella is walking with Ramon and explaining her worries, her troubles, and they head into the cornfield where they find a scarecrow wearing Tommy's clothes. Yeah, she's like, I, I need to check because that's a wild coinky-dink. And so they, they, they head there and yeah, the scarecrow, Tommy's letterman's jacket. Oh no. He's... And his pants and like everything about that he was wearing yeah. is now on the scarecrow. And so at this point, Stella is like, okay, the story turned Tommy into a scarecrow. But Ramon is like, I don't know, that sounds 
to, impossible. To be fair, it does sound pretty wild. But uh, yeah. <laughs> we cut to the next day, and after school, Stella takes a flashlight and heads back to the Bella's house and puts the book back on her shelf. Yeah, she's like, you can you can have this back spooky, spooky yeah. house. She heads home, and her dad is like, I have to pick up another shift. And Stella's like, did you always work this much, like when mom was around? And he's like, what if I don't answer that question, but reiterate that Tommy is still missing, so just come straight home from school. Yeah, he's like, be home... F- like early every night because something something bad's going on in town to be fair it's a small town they have like a hundred children in the whole town one going missing mm-hmm. is fairly mm-hmm. and then we cut to ruth uh in her room and she is trying to apply some makeup over a bump she has on her cheek and chuck comes up behind her because it's his sister and is like you try to cover up that zit and she's like it's a spider bite you dingus and closes the door on him and from the door, he yells, my banana! Because he has a banana in his hands. Which is presumably knocked out. This this movie got a couple laughs out of me, honestly. Yeah, it's got some good lines. <laughs> yeah, uh, we yeah. come back to Stella's house. That's all we see of Ruth's spider bite for now. Mm-hmm. Uh, where Ramon is knocking on the door. And Stella's like, oh yeah, come in, random guy who I've known for 24 hours. Absolutely. And then in their room, she turns around and sees Ramon is holding the book. And she's like, the fuck you get that book? Yeah, and he's like, what are you talking about? It was here on your bed. Uh, so she takes it from him and notices that there is a story being written right in front of her face, like on a blank page, titled The Big Toe, that mentions a boy named August, which is sort, short for Augie. Yes, and so she tries tearing out the pages, uh, but the story keeps being uh, written, and when she realizes it's about Augie, she tries to hail him on the walkie-talkie, but he's on the phone with his mom, and he's like... Wow, you and Jeff could have for sure left me food. No, I'm not going to call him dad. <laughs> he's like, I'm not going to call him dad. <laughs> and then he's like, I'm going to eat this stew. And and uh, we don't hear what her, the mom says because we only get Augie's side of the conversation. But he's like, well, somebody had to make it, implying that his mom doesn't know where that stew came from. And neither does he. Yes, so uh, over the walkie-talkie, Stella's yelling at Augie not to eat anything. Uh, at which point Augie actually picks up the walkie-talkie because he's now done talking yeah. to his mom. And he's Ramon already... is also like, hey, don't eat anything. Yeah, and at this point he's already had a bite of stew. And so he's like, it's normal stew. It's good stew. What are you guys talking about? You guys are being insane and crazy. Um, and he ends up scooping up what appears to be a long sausage-like thing. Yes, and he specifically says, they're telling him about like a voice that should be telling him, where's my toe, which he doesn't hear, and he's like, oh, haha, very funny. My dad used to tell me this story when I was little. Yeah, he, he mentions that his dad used to, to tell him this when he was little, and it horrified him. Uh, but he takes a bite of this uh, toe that is in the stew, and it creates a gross crunching sound, and he's like, what? And he takes it out of his mouth and begins like, retching because yeah he knocks over the stew pan we also see an eyeball like bounce out yeah oh no it's it's gross at which point all sound kind of cuts out and it's silence and we hear from the hallway well just before that he starts asking over the walkie-talkie what happens next Mm -hmm. and stella tells him that the zombie will say and then we cut back to the house and he hears the zombie say where or who took my toe yes and so uh, Augie scrambles to his room and the zombie starts walking down the hallway missing a big toe. Yeah, creepy thing. And it's still, who took my toe? Who took my toe? Uh, he tries to escape through the window of his room, but it won't open. God dang it. Those windows never work when you need them to. So he opts to slide under his bed and hide there instead. Yes, and the door kind of creaks open and there's silence as Augie looks around. And there doesn't appear to be anything in the room, mm-hmm. but there is the longest build-up to, uh, obviously a jump scare is coming, 
but it's real long. Yeah. So he's got his eyes closed, and then when he opens them again, yeah, the door is wide open, and we just see the pitch black hallway, but nothing else. Uh, and he sits there for a moment, and then slowly comes out from underneath the bed and looks up above to see if it's there's anything on the bed, and that's where we think it's going to be. Uh, but then suddenly he is dragged under the bed where the corpse is above him, I guess? I think it's behind him. Behind him, yeah. Uh, but it scree- screams at him and drags him into a black void. Yes, and Stella and Ramon arrive, but it's too late. Augie's gone. That's Rip Augie. Uh, they, all they find left behind are, like, his nail tracks that he left as he was being dragged across the ground. Yes. The next morning, a search party with dogs is still looking for Tommy, and uh, Stella is sitting in, like, a field, and she's blaming herself for this, and this is where she first says she also caused her mom to leave. I think it's the drive-in range, but it's daytime, so there's no cars. Oh, that would make sense. Yeah. I was just, like, random field. Okay. No, because you can see the big screen in the background. That's So, right. yeah. it's the, So, yeah, she's having a hard time, and obviously so is Ramon, because now he is also a believer, and uh, Chuck, who has been brought around because of what he saw in the Bellows house, arrives with Ruth... Um, well, he's he's not quite brought around, because Chuck is like, where's Augie? And they're like, Augie's gone, and he's like, this is the worst joke you've ever told. Totally, totally. And Ruth is also not amused, um, at which point Stella says that you don't read the book, the book reads you. Yes. In Soviet Russia. <laughs> and Ruth is like, listen, I have no time for Soviet Russia, I'm in a musical, I have to depart. <laughs> and so she leaves, and Chuck, Ramon, and Stella are like, we will try the classic solution where we burn the book in this convenient barrel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Except Did... the book doesn't burn. No, you can't simply destroy it by any mortal man. It and must be like, thrown into the fires of Mount Doom. No, wrong book. But Chuck is like, this is why I don't read books. Yeah, yeah, he's like, this is why I don't read books. And then he's like, we should definitely tell the police. And Ramon and Stella, but Ramon and Stella are against that plan because Ramon is the prime suspect in Tommy's disappearance because it's starting to get out around town that this mysterious drifter child came in. Uh, had a falling out with Tommy, and then Tommy went missing. Doesn't look great. And we also see that Ramon is nervous about something extra. But also, like, what are you going to tell the cops? Hey, this book started writing in itself, and then my friend got abducted by a zombie, and this other guy turned into a scarecrow. Mm-hmm. Like, mm, pretty wild. So they inst- decide instead to head to the library to see what they can learn about Sarah Bellows, and shout out to this library for having an incredibly different bunch of archival materials that would be in incredibly different locations, all of which are easily accessible to the children with hamburgers dripping ketchup and Coke, which mm-hmm. is like completely unfunctional archival practices in libraries even in 1968. You don't need to be careful with the 150-year-old newspaper. You don't need to do that. Well, the newspaper's microfilm, which is fine, like, and that would be what the library has, but, like, they've also randomly got a bunch of church records. Like, why are the church records there instead of at the church where the church records... You know, I'm just saying, there's some shady archival practices (laughs) happening in this book. Uh, They learn through the shady archival uh, practices that... The Bellows family had a couple of servants who were let go from the family's service, actually, because they were rumored to practice dark magic. The The actual newspaper clipping is like, black magic and voodoo. Yeah, it's also from like 1892 or yeah, whatever. So yeah. uh, they also cross-reference people who left town with stories in Sarah's book and find the like names of those people in these stories and as they're looking another story starts to appear yes yeah so that specifically i think it's every single bellows family member has a story and all of them kind of vanished one by one 
Uh, but yes, a story is starting to be written. Oh no, it's about Ruth, called The Red Spot. Well, they don't know it's about Ruth, though, because they just look at Chuck because he spilled ketchup on his <laughs> oh, yeah. cheek, on, or on his shirt. Right, the story's called The Red Spot, and they're like, oh no, Chuck! And he's like, oh crap, I'm gonna die! But then the story refers to a girl. Yes, and he's like, wait, I'm not a girl. So we cut now to the school musical, which is Bye Bye Birdie, which would have been very popular in 1968. Oh yeah. Because it was the movie in 1963 and came out in 1960, so Uh on point. And Ruth is trying to cover what she thinks is a pimple on her cheek, which is, like, clearly gnarlier than it was that afternoon. Well, I think she's aware it's a spider bite. She has referred to it as a spider bite, but yeah, it is swelled up and looks like basically it's a big boil at this point uh, on the side of her face. And one of the other girls is like, "Mm mm-mm, girl, you need to cover that shit up. Yeah, so she heads to the bathroom, and when she gets there, like, half of her face is now swollen and, like changing color, and we start to see shadows ghosting over the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at this point, Ramon and Chuck and... Stella. Stella are running to the school to try and save her, because they're aware that the story is targeting Ruth this time. They know that she's in this musical tonight. So they're running there also, while the shadow uh, darkens the, the, the washroom. Yes. In the washroom, we cut back to Ruth, and the spot is like has become a giant, like, red and white looking thing, and it kind of starts to move. And then what appears to be a hair sticks out of the middle of it. Yeah, like a And she's like, oh. And Vicky's like, oh. And uh, she begins to, like, touch it and twing it, and it twitches like a leg. Yeah. Um, and suddenly the boil bursts as spiders, tiny little spiders, begin to crawl out of her face. Yes, uh, Chuck, Ramon, and Stella arrive on the scene, and Chuck starts brushing the spiders off Ruth before, like, sprinting out to the hallway and finding a janitor's bucket, which he uses to wash the spiders off of there. Yeah. And Stella, meanwhile, sees a ghostly shadow on the wall before the lights come back on, and now we just see Chuck desperately trying to comfort his incredibly traumatized sister. Yes, and later... Which valid, frankly. Yeah. And as Ruth is being taken away on a stretcher, uh, Stella tells Chuck that she saw Sarah in the washroom. And Chuck is like, that's nice, my sister is gone. And it's like, it's valid, Chuck, but I feel like this sort of proves the point we were discussing earlier about the book. Mm -hmm. But at this point now, Stella, Chuck, and Ramon decide to try and track down a woman named Lulu, who was one of the servants in the Bellows homes when Sarah was still alive. Yeah, and she would have been a child at the time, so... Uh, she is still alive, and as they're, like, looking for the information of where Lulu Baptiste lives, Chuck starts telling them about a nightmare he had that he, like, used to have as a kid, but hasn't had in a while. But he's having it again, um, about a red room and a large, fat, pale woman with black hair who whispers in his ear to to run away, for this is an evil place. Yes. Uh, more on that later, but yeah, for now... Yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> the gang has found Lulu Baptiste's home, uh, where she lives with her daughter, and they are shown by her daughter to kind of a back room where Lulu, who is now a very old woman, who doesn't necessarily appear to be aware of what's happening. Yeah, she's sitting. unresponsive. Yeah, she's kind of sitting until Stella finds a music box and plays it. Yeah, and it begins to say it begins to play the Hearst song, which is a scary stories tell in the dark uh song that is in the actual books. Comes with a little piano sheet music as well. I learned how to play it. Yes. Uh, but she starts to hum along to it and eventually Lulu uh, looks over the group clearly kind of at least a little aware now. Um and they ask her about if they if she and her mom taught Sarah Black Magic. Yes, and Lulu asks to see the book, which she can apparently sense. 
and says there was no magic, only rage, and that stories can hurt or heal. Uh, but then she tells them they shouldn't have taken the book and starts singing to herself, and that's all we're going to get out of yeah, that. Yeah, she's like, y'all are fucked. Uh, so... Lulu's daughter arrives and shoes them out so she can calm well, her mother down. Yeah, not before Lulu's daughter says that or tells them that Sarah Bell has hung herself in a hospital, not the mansion. Yes. So it is now 1968 Election Day, which is November the 5th, so five days after the initial incidents of this film. And mm. the gang arrives at the hospital where Sarah hung herself. Because they're like, we're hoping to get some records. So they walk on up to the front desk, go up to the nurse, and are like, yeah... Do you have any patient records? She says, what? No. Ha ha. Well, well, no, the nurse is like, yes, but why would you think we just give those out? Yeah, like, lol, what? No, we're not just giving that to some teenagers. Uh, They lie, however, and tell her that it's for a school project they're doing. The doctor doctor that's next to the nurse who's, like, doing his own thing in a file cabinet is like, well, we do keep those records in the red room. And And Chuck is like... The what now? (laughs) The the what color room? Uh, (laughs) The nurse... Then says, yes, you can technically request the records, but it takes six months to process. Six Here's weeks. A, or six weeks to process. Here's a form. Uh, forms be damned, though, because a bunch of doctors are coming out of a, of a door, so in the game sneaks. And Chuck is like, listen, I am not going to the red room. And the other two are like, no, no, it's fine. And he's like, no, you do not understand the depths of how incredibly unfine something called the red room is. And they're like, it'll be fine, Chuck. And they're like, no, I, I don't want it. And they're like, okay, Chuck, Chuckers, fine, stay here, and we'll go to the Red Room. And you just don't get caught, though, because we are sneaking. Yes, and so Chuck interprets don't get caught as get in an elevator and push a button. Yeah, I don't understand his reason for leaving either. But yeah, he begins to just, he goes to the nearest random elevator and hits a random I, button. I think what might be happening is he's trying to get to the roof to get, like, some air, because the mm. roof is not a room, mm. but there's some orderlies on the roof who, like, start asking what he's doing and start chasing him as he goes through the next door. I think perhaps his logic, though, is, like, I want to get air. air or, like, to see if there's a fire escape that he can... Climb down or something. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, he ends up on the roof, and as Vicky said, some orderlies chase him into back into the hospital, uh, but he manages to evade them as Stella and Ramon arrive at the Red Room, which, which we is... see isn't red at all, but rather just a name. Well, it's, it's the record and something document room. But it's, yeah. It spells red. Red acronym. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the the red room is apparently through some creepy basement tunnels, where they find yeah. Sarah's records in record time. Again, the archives. Yeah, they like, have questions. They're like, oh, it's just it's right here. And this is where they learn that she suffered from albinoism. Albinoism. Yeah, is that was called. That's correct. Uh, yeah, uh, and that her supervising doctor while she was held here was actually her brother. Who uh, tortured her with electroshock therapy about 40 years before electroshock therapy was invented. Yeah, so. like cryotherapy and whatnot. Basically every horrible thing we used to do to mental patients. Yeah, they invented them specifically for Sarah. Yeah. Yeah, she's the genesis <laughs> of all of those. Uh, they also find in addition to that a wax cylinder, which for some reason Ramon is able to identify. Uh, which And is able to identify how to play it. <laughs> he's, he's like, oh, this is a wax cylinder. It, it, it was used to record back before recording was a thing oh and this is a machine to use the wax you just how, slot it in how convenient it's all right here for me and plugged <laughs> in and it's great um and the wax cylinder is a recording of sarah's brother torturing her with the electrotherapy that doesn't exist yet uh because sarah 
was trying to say that the children have been poisoned with mercury that's coming from the mill. She didn't poison anyone. It's the mill. Exactly. And this is when we learned that the family is like doing this to her because she's essentially going to ruin the business by saying the mill is poisoning everyone. Can't have that. And again, I have no idea why the albinoism plays into anything. It doesn't seem to really matter uh, too much. But, but yeah, so she's trying to whistleblow on this, whereas the brother's like, no, 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 you're the one that killed those kids. Clearly trying to, like, pin the blame. Which kind of makes me think, like, either way, your family's reputation is kind of down the tubes. Why would you try and pin that on a blood relative? Although I guess they were sort of hiding her existence from the world so you could quiet it. Yeah, and it's less like she murdered those children than, like... Well, that's like... what he's trying to get her to admit to, though. Well, he's trying to get her to tell the truth, but he never says what the truth is, because she just, like, really harps on it being the family poisoning. I could have sworn he was like, no, it was you that killed those kids. Oh, I thought he said you, you don't know what killed those kids. I, either way. Either way. Uh, the recording eventually starts telling Chuck's nightmare in Sarah's voice. Yeah. And uh, Stella opens the book to see that said nightmare is being written out at the same time. The Red Room. Cut and to Chuck. Cut to poor Chuck, uh, who is in a part of the hospital that is shockingly devoid of all people. Where'd all them dang people go? Uh, and an alarm starts to go off, and all of the lights turn bright red. Yes, so Stella and Ramon start looking for Chuck as the shadow starts sweeping across the ceiling. Uh, but they're not going to find him because Chuck can see the monster from his nightmares, which is a deeply, deeply unpleasant and distressing, not quite human th I don't like it. The pale lady. I don't like it. So it's a very, very large... Uh kind of fat woman except her face is very very wide and it's not really a face it's flat i don't like it uh but anyway so she starts walking very slowly towards him and he's like don't like that turns around tries to run down another hallway but oh no she's down that hallway too yes yeah, so she is slowly walking towards him from whatever direction he tries running in until eventually she very slowly catches up to him and I hate it. I hate it so much. I hate this whole scene. Yeah. I hate it so much. Yeah, so he ends up at a crossroad of, of three hallways, and she's down every corridor, so he's fucked. And eventually she just reaches him and grabs onto him, and he goes dead in the eyes as she, like, absorbs him into her via hug. I hate it. I hate it so much. Yeah. At this point... Best hug ever. No, at this point, Stella finds Chuck's pen as the nurse from earlier shows up, and then she and Ramon presumably are arrested because she's calling her dad from the police station. Yeah, well, they were causing a ruckus in that hospital, right? They're running wild. Well, they were trespassing. Buck wild, children. So that's Rip, Chuck, and Stella and Ramon are at the sheriff's office where, yes, Stella is on the phone with her father, who is very upset. He's like, But just, not at her. No, just like, tell me what's going on. Why won't you tell me? And to be fair, is. it's because she starts the phone call by being like, I'm afraid I'm going to die, and also if I go missing, know that I didn't leave you, which is a deeply distressing thing for your child, who you haven't seen all day, in a town where children are going missing, to call you and announce. Yeah, but she's like, I wouldn't do that to you, so... And he's like, where, where are you? It's not your fault your mom left. Like, we can talk through this, and Stella is like, nope, I gotta go, and hangs up as the police officer arrives. Mm. And uh, the sheriff takes both her and Ramon into a room and reveals that Ramon is a draft dodger. Which well. I called super early in it's, this film. Yeah. yeah, Vicky was like 10 minutes in. Vicky was like, Ramon is a draft dodger. That's what's going on here. I mean, okay, to be fair, <laughs> they really emphasize that Vietnam is happening. It's a 1968, which is the height of the draft. And he's this mysterious person in a small town no one's ever seen living out of his car who 
is just old enough to be 18, yeah, fam. It's mm-hmm. a draft daughter. Mm-hmm. Just but, saying. But Stella's like, obviously we're innocent. We saved Ruth's life. And the sheriff goes, saved her life. Ruth is in a nut house. She's in a mental hospital because spiders exploded out the side of her face. Which, like, valid. And the cop tries to tell Stella to go home, and she refuses. So they put her in a cell beside Ramon. And they, they do not believe the story that the book is writing mm-hmm. stories. And the sheriff has the book on his desk, but he leaves the two of them and Ramon tells Stella that the reason why he dodged the draft is because his older brother was shipped off to Vietnam and he came back in pieces. So he died. And so when he got his notice, he was just like, fuck that. Nope. Which, honestly valid. And I'm pretty sure because he already had a brother who died before his draft notice, he shouldn't have been sent a draft notice. I'm fairly confident, but I'd can't back that up beyond I think that's right. If any of y'all listeners know the answer to this, then uh, let us know. Yes. Uh, Meanwhile, the sheriff goes back to look at the book again and discovers the ink on the book is still wet. And he looks like he's going to go ask them about it, but the lights go out and the dog starts Mm -hmm. growling at the door. The title of the story is Me Tai Do Tai T Walker. Yes. And Tom turns to me at this point and goes, don't worry. This guy isn't as creepy as the pale lady, which was a bald-faced lie. I still think you're wrong. No. He's nowhere near as bad. He is also incredibly uh, disturbing. And Ramon tells Stella, oh shit, I know this. The jangly man is coming. It's an old campfire story that we used to tell, and it always scared the shit out of me. Uh, so it's kind of interesting that for everybody but... I guess Ruth and Tommy, these were like stories that existed already. Well, Tommy specifies at the beginning that he hates Harold and he's like always been afraid of Harold. He doesn't like him. Right, but it's, but like for the, um, the Red Room, I guess that was a nightmare. Yeah, and Ruth falls into the spider webs and is clearly very afraid of the spider. So Mm -hmm. it's not like these are like just out of nowhere. I think it is all playing off of specific things they fear. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Yeah. Um, so... The sheriff's dog, which I believe is named... Trigger. Trigger, thank you. I thought it was Trigger. He's a good boy. Uh, and he's staring at, like, a chimney and making, like, a... Uh, which is a callback to the story. It doesn't do a very good job of it in the movie. But in the original story, uh, it's a boy and his dog, and they're staying in a haunted house for the night. And the dog begins to sing uh, Me Tai Do Tai T Walker... And then a ghostly voice calls back to the dog and it gets closer and closer and closer until the jangly man falls down the chimney. But uh, in this case, it's just the dog grunting at it. And then slowly a severed head falls down the top of the uh, chimney and into the room. Yes, and the sheriff shoots the head a bunch, but the head just laughs. And then a bunch of limbs and other bits fall down and I hate it. Yeah, I hate it, yeah. I hate it, I hate it. Yeah, well, the, uh, the, the head uh, opens up its eyes and shouts, me, Ty Doty Walker... And then he's like, fuck that, and starts shooting it. It doesn't do much. And all the limbs begin to reattach. Into like a horrible man thing, which just straight up snaps the sheriff's neck. The jangly man. And uh, the jangly man throws the sheriff into the bars and starts crunching its way towards Ramon's cell. And it appears to be able to move its limbs in any... I don't like it. It's got full 360 spin on all of its joints. I hate it. uh, I hate it. Because it's walking... On all fours, but backwards. I hate it. <laughs> I hate it so much. Uh, as he makes it, it makes his way towards the uh, the cells, and he's clearly just concentrating on Ramon. And uh, Ramon's like, he's here for me. He's gonna just try and kill me. Uh, Stella, thinking pretty quick, uh, grabs the sheriff who is up against her cell and starts to try and pull his keys off of him. Yes, and uh, fortunately, 
the jangly man has to kind of reorient all his limbs to slowly squeeze through the bars. So Stella is able to unlock her cell and Ramon's cell, and uh, they flee the police station just as Richard Nixon is declared the winner of the election on TV. Oh no! I mean, historically, I know. <laughs> yeah, that's what I I'm related mean. to the film. <laughs> Outside. Uh, and we should, I should also say that when the jangly man uh, crams his head through the bars and Ramon is still stuck in the jail cell, uh, he screams coward at him. Oh, yes. Uh, Ramon tells Sarah to run to the house, and or Stella to run to the house and deal with Sarah. Why are they called Stella and Sarah? That's so similar. Anyways, and he's going to distract the jangly man. Yeah, because he's like, the jangly man only wants me. So you need to get to the house and stop this. And Stella's like, but this, the the story always gets you. And he's like, well, you better be quick then. <laughs> and and he hops into the police car and uh, begins to drive away while Stella runs. Yes. So uh, while he's driving, Ramon is startled when the jangly man jumps on the car and tries to get in and is hitting things and grabbing through windows. But Ramon manages to pin it uh, by cr- crashing the cop car into a parked truck. Yeah. Uh, and he climbs out of the cop car and books it, and we see the jangly man stuck for a little while, slowly falls apart again to all the individual pieces, and then reforms back up. And I was like, great, he's up. dead! He's not dead. No, reforms back up and uh, gives chase to Ramon. I hate it. Uh, Stella, meanwhile, arrives at the house and starts yelling at Sarah that they know she's innocent, but she's got to stop telling these stories. And suddenly the book is gone from her hands, and the house is lit up and nice again. Yeah, it's uh, looking in just the exact same way that Chuck saw when he was in the wardrobe. So it's uh, stuck in time back from its heyday. Uh, And we hear the Bellows family moving around the mansion, shouting, Sarah, where are you, Sarah? Trying to, like, find her clearly. Yes, at this point, Ramon arrives on the scene and finds Stella has disappeared. And the book is writing uh, her story, and the jangly man is still chasing him. Ramon has a lot going on yeah. on his plate. Ramon's <laughs> got a lot on his plate right now. So he is in the dilapidated mansion while she's back in time in the in the fixed mansion, and he's just running around trying to avoid the jangly man who's chasing after him. Yes, and so Stella uh, appears to have taken the place of Sarah, like she can tell she's being chased, and she runs into the room where the old lady Chuck saw is, and the old lady starts yelling that she's in here, she's in here, and when Stella looks in the mirror, uh, we see like a glimpse of white hair as she runs away. So she is Stella, but living the life of Sarah? Yeah, she looks like Sarah to these people, at the very, very least. Uh, She ends up running into a dining room where a young Lulu, a little, little girl, points at the table and as like a clearly like hide there and uh so stella crawls underneath the table and the bellows family arrives and they're like where is she and lulu's like i don't know yeah like you know liar and uh we cut back to ramon at this point who is still running from the jangling man and falls down the stairs Mm -hmm. and then when we go back to stella she's grabbed by sarah's family and ramon can hear her screaming through time Screaming through time. Uh, And Stella tries to explain that she isn't Sarah as they lock her in Sarah's room and turn all the lights off. And Ramon can hear all this, but he can't do anything about it. (laughs) The mom is literally like, you don't deserve the light. And like, turns off the lights. I'm like, that is... Damn. (laughs) Uh, The book falls off of Sarah's shelf, and Stella can faintly see Sarah's ghost get up from a chair. It's not ever, like, established that it's a ghost, but, like, it's a ghost. It is a movie ghost. Yeah. Ramon sort of into nothingness is just like Sarah, uh, Stella if you can hear me like tell Sarah the truth like you need to tell her you need to tell 
the truth, the story. Meanwhile, I'm going to limp around because I fell off these stairs mm. and this whack-ass fucking horrible thing is still trying to eat my face. Um, he also finds what appears to be Stella's glasses. Yes. Uh, but they look old and beat up as if they have been here for a very, very long time. Uh, and while he is walking through the house, the jangly man is in the roof waiting for him and drops down on him. Yes. So meanwhile, Stella starts tearing, telling Sarah what's what and she's like, listen... You were a victim, but at this point, you have become the monster, and you gotta stop that shit, fam. Uh, and now she can hear Ramon yelling. Yeah. Like, so they can hear each other, but, like, they're indifferent. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Uh, but, she, yeah, she, she berates Sarah's ghost and tells, uh, and she says, like, if you stop this, I'll tell your story. Yes, and that, uh, at this point, she is responsible for her own actions. Like, mm -hmm. she is responsible for continuing to perpetuate this misery. Mm -hmm. And the ghost of Sarah is like, you make a good point, child, and uh, offers her, like, a pen and instructs her to use her blood to, to write. Yeah, and so Sarah, or Stella, rather, God, Sarah and <laughs> Stella. Stella is, like, frantically like stabs her finger and is writing on the page like and Sarah was abused and hurt and blah 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 and then she tells Sarah to let her go and Sarah screams and dissolves and the jangly man disappears. Falls into pieces once again just before snapping Ramon's neck and No uh, he doesn't snap Ramon's neck. Just or just before. Oh I was like before no Ramon a, lives. Rather, before he's able to snap Ramon's neck is how I should be. That would not be wild. If I was like Thomas anyway. that's <laughs> wrong. Uh, so um, in in the same voiceover from the beginning Stella is starting to repeat like stories have the power to heal and hurt and then she opens the door and finds Ramon on the other side and they hug it out while this voiceover is going on. They get a nice hug and he gives her back her messed up glasses um, and then as the voiceover continues we see that uh, Stella it, did write Sarah's story uh, and published it. And, and won a prize. And won a prize. And some people believed her, but most did not, because after all, she is a sad, lonely girl as well. And her only two friends in the world have gone missing, mm -hmm, so now mm -hmm. she has no friends. And her cute boyfriend, Ramon, is uh, is answering his call of duty. His his draft. His call of duty. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, guess our thoughts on the draft and the Vietnam War, folks. So uh, Stella shows up to like see him off and promises to write him in Vietnam and hands him a letter for the bus. And he's reading it on the bus and she signed it, Love Stella. And he starts to cry. Because he's going to get, I don't know, cancer or something from Agent Orange. I don't know. Um, and then the movie actually ends with Stella driving in a car with her dad and uh, Ruth in the back seat, who has a big scar on her cheek now. But she's no longer insane. Uh, well, I don't know. She might still be. No, she's, she's like, very calm and smart. That's it's, true. It was sort of... It's implied in a sort of, like, very roundabout way that now that Sarah has, like, accepted peace, mm. that the, like, after effects of the spiders are... Maybe ain't as bad? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, and Sarah says that she Stella. believed... Oh, God, you're right. Um, <laughs> Stella says that she believes that uh, Augie and Chuck are out there still, and uh, she's going to find out how to bring them back, or rather they're going to find them, impl in implying that she's got this like Avengers team up with... Her, her dad her, and Ruth. Her, her dad and Ruth. Uh, and it ends with them driving into the sunset. Yes. And then that's it. That's, that's the movie. The film. And I was... Deeply stressed. Yeah, so the whole time. Hope you guys liked that breakdown. Now is the part of the episode where we are going to assign this movie some ratings. So, Vicky, scale of one to ten, how much did you enjoy this movie? Like a 
Like a six. Wow. Okay. Like, it doesn't have the world's strongest plot, but, like, it's kind of a cute little teen romance between, like, Stella and Ramon, and, like, Chuck has some good one-liners. My banana. <laughs> exactly. I hate all of the parts with monsters, but the, like, not-monster parts are, like, a six. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Uh, I'm gonna... I give it a five, because, to me, I don't know, the... I love the monsters and everything. Like I have a, I have a ton of fun during all of those scenes. But yeah, I'm not the hugest fan of the actual overall story structure. There's a few really just cliche decisions that are made where I'm like, okay, I've seen this movie before. Uh, but the monster encounters are great. So now on a scale of one to ten, how well made was it? Like a, like a seven. It's got some good effects. None of the effects are super graphic because this isn't really like a super graphic film. But like the effects are good. The acting is well done it's got standard horror movie like half the time it's too dark to see and everybody's whispering but yeah 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 i think i'm gonna i would i'm gonna give it a seven because i do also enjoy some of the effects like the pale lady looks great i hate the pale um lady. and that whole that entire scene i just it gives me the heebie-jeebies so uh yeah i'm gonna give it a, a solid seven so now on a scale of one to ten how spooky was it eight i hate it i hate it so much i mm, no no, I don't. I don't like it. Doesn't beat out Gerald's game though. Gerald's game is the only ten. Mm-hmm. Train to Busan, I think, is the only nine. Mm-hmm. I might have given one other movie an eight, but like this is definitely like up there. I don't know the pale lady and the jangly man. Just mm, no. I was I was feeling okay because you were like, don't worry, the next guy isn't as bad as the pale lady, not. and then it was an equally horrible <laughs> in an entirely different way thing. <laughs> And I don't like it, and we had to watch some Jeopardy and pet some cats <laughs> we before did. we recorded. We did, we were like, before the next part, would you like to watch a few episodes of Jeopardy to cool off? Yes, and pet some cats. I think I just shoved <laughs> my face into Joan, and I was like, hey bud, yeah. soothe my feelings. Yeah, yeah. How scary do you think the movie is, Thomas? I, I, I actually would give it a four, because I think that the, the Pale Lady especially spooks me, and I think I've described this before on the podcast, but the thing that always scares me most are situations that are unwinning no matter what you do and that entire scene is every hallway Chuck turns down she's there so there was no way he was possibly going to be able to escape his fate it was slow and inevitable and I just rubs me the wrong way every time that happens so I actually will give it a four because that spooks me uh, but all the other monsters I can deal with Jangly Man ain't no thing Jangly Man is a thing <laughs> I hate him I hate him so much. So, hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. Uh, join us next time when we take a look at Harry Potter's later years in The Woman in Black. Daniel Radcliffe isn't Harry Potter, Thomas. They're actually different. What? I know. Shocking. Oh my goodness. In the meantime, if you want to get a hold of us, you can tweet us or catch us on Instagram at uh, Scaredy Podcasts. Tom is just sitting here making incredibly incredulous faces at this new knowledge that Daniel Radcliffe and Harry Potter are not actually the same person. They're the, the same. No. <laughs> uh, until then, I'm your co-host Vicky Sotvet. And I'm Thomas J. Sotvet. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Be cool to each other.